Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. morning. Are you ready for today's for seven in Romans? No. Well, thank you, Myla. If you have the scripture verses in front of you, you can follow along. And of course, we're reading through the ESV. Therefore, since we have been justified, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the godly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him through the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more, now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more shall the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many." And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's disobedience the many will be made righteous. For the law came in to increase the trespass, 
But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also reigned, might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Four, if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have been, excuse me, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do, not, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as disobedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its, its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And now chapter 7. And do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, 
she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a, a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Wow, some great scripture. We've gone over quite, I mean, all of that already. Uh, Jim did a great job, of course, last week on that. But as I begin our lesson this morning, I truly feel a need to get it right when we look at these verses. And I've prayed a lot. And yes, this static is a little distracting. First, let me point out that I cannot imagine what it would have been like to have been a first century Christian. We've discussed that a little bit. You know, the foundations of Christendom and the gospel were being laid at this time. Already we've seen in Romans, but if you read other scripture verses in Acts, very early there were a lot of false teachers seeking and really tearing down what Christ had done for us. I recall last week 
during Jim's lesson uh, that, and by the way, Jim does a great job. I love sitting in his class, and I've told others around me, I can remember being in college, some of my professors, and, and I tell you what, we are truly blessed. Uh, he does a phenomenal job, and I would measure him above many, if not most, of the professors I had and um, what he brings to us. But understand, at this time, they didn't have a Bible. They truly were sitting there waiting to hear from someone. They it had to be passed on to them. So they were hungry for the words from Paul. And this may have been an easier step for them than maybe what I thought initially last week because I thought, yeah, it would have been tough to sit there and have somebody read through this whole, you know, I don't know how long it would have taken, but it would have taken a long time. It would have been tough for me today. But for them, you know, it may not have been as tough as we, thought, we think initially. And the reason I say that, I don't know if you've had a time in your life where maybe you've been away from other Christian brothers and sisters. The one that came to my mind was when I, that most sticks out in my mind, was when I was away at basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia. I'll tell you what, love the guys. First and foremost, I love them. And great impact that God allowed me to have on those, those young men. But they were not the godliest bunch of people. In fact, I can remember. But I can remember at Fort Benning, one of my earliest memories, when I was there with a couple of young men from Detroit, and they came and uh, on post. <laughs> Detroit, some of the finest. A couple of young men, and I'll never forget, it was just a big ruckus going on in our barracks. And uh, there were some MPs showed up, and ended up taking two of the guys out because they were accused of murder, and they took them out. So, again, I was around a lot of godless people, and when you're in the field, yeah, I had my little New Testament, Army New Testament, but it was a lonely time. And I can tell you that when we had opportunity to come in back in and actually go to chapel time, which they did have on base, that was just a great time. I mean, I could have sat there for hours. I would have been wanting to go to sleep probably because I was so tired. But certainly, I think of that, and I think these people were so hungry because they wanted to know more. They had heard enough just to, again, get them hungry for what God was going to do. I thank God for calling Paul because he was there to set the record straight. He was called to make sure that it was right. Even today, though, folks, I'm going to tell you, there you see it seeping into all of our churches. And don't think that it doesn't try to seep even into our ministries here. That there are teachings that come in and try to sway us one direction or the other. Understand, I got saved when I was seven in Bible school. Very early in life, my earliest memories were my mom sharing the gospel, my dad having our devotion time at night. So we take that so much for granted that we've had it. All that's there. And many theologians have gone through and helped us understand some of the more difficult areas. We don't need to take that for granted. We need to see it for what it is and make sure that, that we're passing that along even to our kids. They love it and go on from there. With that being stated, let's jump into our verses today in chapter 7 and observe the fact that Paul has spent a measurable amount of time in this letter pointing out that following the law is not the answer to salvation. And again, I go back and you, you see at that point there was that struggle taking place, even amongst some of the disciples and our apostles at that time. Paul has revealed in the previous chapters the fact that there is a need for God's righteousness and the fact that all of us are unrighteous. 
it was probably a shock to some at that time to hear some of these words coming out and being spoken to them. Let's look at uh, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. There's little doubt that Paul needed to address one of the primary conclusions that people could have had at this point in his letter. Is the law now simple? Again, he's laid it out, and it'd be very easy if you're just listening to those portions of it, what that conclusion may have been. Was the law, that revered word that God himself had penned through Moses, now something that we need to put aside and see it as something that's bad? Remember, there was no Bible, and as I mentioned, leaders were themselves new Christians. Paul is quick to show that God's true intentions were there to reveal that it was righteousness and his grace is what it was truly about and not about that law. The law was there as a teacher not to burden us down with having to follow a list of things to bring ourselves closer to God. That was an impossibility. You can't do that. Uh, I just have to wonder if that was what was going on. Some murmuring were some of those leaders telling him, wait, yeah, you can have Jesus, but understand, you got Jesus, but you need to be keeping that list. I mentioned it many times in the past. I remember, I won't mention the ministry, but coming to this ministry and being looked at and called down for having my hair that hit my ear. Things of that nature. Stuff, don't get me wrong. I understand you want to have some standards. There are some things there. But folks, and we still do. We look at people. I had somebody... And this is not my notes, Jim, I'm sorry. But I had somebody, my son and I were at the mall, and he, uh, we gravitated to a place where they had some suits and went in there. And he made a statement. He said, yeah, people are going to look at you right now and judge you based on how you look. Well, you know what he was wearing? He was wearing sweats and a T-shirt, selling men's suits at Northgate Mall. And I kind of scratched my head and thought, you know what, I judged that guy. The minute he walked out, I thought, what is this guy doing here? Is this the guy that works here, or is this just somebody wandering around? You know, so, it, again, we still do that. And if you say you don't, we're wrong. And we're lying to ourselves. So, I have to think that kind of stuff was getting in there, into the church. Charles Spurgeon said, Even with the light of nature, and the light of conscience, and the light of tradition, there are some things we should never have believed to be sins had we not been taught this by the law. Again, don't get comfortable in your skin. The minute you do that, watch out. Sin is waiting to take control there. Verse 8, but sin seizing opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I love how Paul is so transparent here. You know, when I, as people tell you the Bible's R-rated it absolutely is. If you go through that, the I mean, cover to cover, there's a lot of R-rated stuff. But I love, and I told my teens, I used to teach teens, you pull any punches. You want to know what a Christian is? They're the worst of the worst. I mean, some of the godliest people, when you look in the, our Bible, were the worst of the worst at some point in their life. Paul himself was the worst of the worst. And he's even now, I'm not saying I've arrived, he's saying, listen. I'm experiencing it. And because I'm experiencing it, I know what you're experiencing. 
And that's why he's sharing it. Let's go on to verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Again, this former Pharisee, the ultimate of law keepers and the enforcer of the law. Think about it. If you know Paul's life, Saul, Paul, uh, it points out that he didn't understand at that time. Uh, that God had, but now God had opened his eyes to what that really meant. That he at one time was living the righteous life and he would have had a crowd around him raising their hands at one point. So I said, you are a righteous man. Look at Paul. Yet he at this point, folks, is so humbled, he shares just wide open. And I tell you, I don't know that I can do necessarily that. Just sit there and just be as bold and, and bearing things out. He realized that law had condemned him to death, and he was without hope. Verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death in me. John MacArthur wrote, theoretically, perfect obedience to the law could bring eternal life. Have you ever heard anybody say that? And with it, happiness and holiness. But no one except Christ has or could or ever will fully obey it. You know, I don't know what circles you run in, but I can tell you that there are people today who believe that Jews can still get righteousness before God by following the law. That that's their way. That God's, they're still God's chosen people. I would ask the question, well, if that's the case, who was Paul talking to here? Who was Paul? Why would he share this if that old way was still another way to God and, and reaching merit and finding favor in God's eyes. As we study the book of Hebrews with Brian, and if you've not been there, it's a great, great study, and it just blew me away just how much correlation there was in that foundational stuff and this where he's, what he's talking about there. I guess, I understand, we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews, but in that Especially this past week when we went through chapter 11, uh, the faith chapter, and he listed all those people. And again, they sought to follow the law, but it wasn't that. It was them looking towards the Messiah's coming. It's what, and that faith in what God was going to do is what saved. It has been that from the beginning. But man, we, as men and women, I say men, of course, um, we're weak. We're so easily finding ideas that seem right in our eyes. And when we do that, we lose sight of what God's true intentions are. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. Through it, killed me. Paul had once believed that the law was his salvation. And keeping of it was the pinnacle of his Jewish upbringing. He had once walked that holy, haughty life of a Pharisee. However, Christ's coming had changed all that. The Messiah had come, and by doing so, had revealed the true meaning of the law. It could not be kept. It was an impossible task, and the sentence in a court of the Almighty, it was death. There's no doubt about it. We are condemned to death unless we know Christ. 
For the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. At this point, I kind of have to chuckle myself. Didn't he just sell me on the idea that the law was, it was not the answer to things. But all of a sudden, he takes that. He twists it. The moment he's got you hooked, he's going to pull you in and actually drive the point home. It's not the law. It's bad. That's not it at all. But it's just driving and believing that I can do it. I can do it. Like the little engine that could. I can do it. You can't do it. It's impossible, folks. At this point, some truly could have thought that Paul was pointing out the reason for not following law, but he was simply trying to help change the wrong and historical thinking concerning the law. They had been drummed, many of them, drummed into their brains. And they were, unfortunately, letting that eat into the church. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was, what? Sin. Producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, the way of the master. It was really hot and heavy several years ago, Ray Comfort's ministry. And I loved it. I absolutely love it. If you ever get a chance, if you're not familiar with Ray Comfort's ministry there, some of those things, they did a great job because he went right straight to the foundation where we all should be. I'm afraid that many of us are so afraid to touch that because we're going to think we're some type of legalist nuts if we use the law, but that's not what it's about. You may be a legalist nut if you're still trying to follow that law and, and reach that pinnacle yourself, but what in his ministry does is he takes the Ten Commandments and he'll readily ask you, have you ever coveted something? Have you ever you know, looked at a woman with lust? He will point to more, you know, those very base sins. And that, of course, everybody generally is going to say, well, yes. And he said, well, so have I. He's very quick to point it out. It's not that I've arrived. Understand, I'm right here with you. It's just I've got the answer. And I'm hoping you will have the answer too. Great ministry. If you get the opportunity, if you've never looked at any of his videos, The Way of the Master, fantastic, the way he used ten, the Ten Commandments. And this is where I believe it comes absolutely from here and what Paul's saying in here. Because it, it exemplifies exactly what the law was meant for. It reveals that there is absolutely no doubt that the fact that we are all sinners. There is no way around it. When was the last time that we stopped and truly saw ourselves based on how we measure up to what the law demands of us. And I, at this point in my notes, I just simply put, if you've been in our Sunday school class, I hope at least once over uh, this study, because that's the foundation of what has already been put in our minds as we've studied the scriptures. I remember uh, last week in the study when we were touching on this, when Jim was going through these verses, and I pictured in my mind's eye how, you know, sin would be rebuilt in my life. And in my mind's eye, I remember thinking of a time when we first moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Of course, many of you know I grew up in Orlando, Florida, and uh, moved up here actually to go to Tennessee Temple University. We had bought a little house up from the campus, and that house was built in 1913. 
old place. A lot of those those homes. In fact, now if you go to that house, it's not even the same place. The people bought it for me. Man, they redid that thing and sold it for a chunk of change. Uh, I did. Yeah, not me. I, I did some of the stuff, but that, even that probably wasn't right. Um, but uh, but I know over that many years, a lot of people had come and gone in the residents in that home. But there was one resident that just didn't want to leave. And that was something called roaches. Now I know you guys probably have never had to deal with roaches ever in your life. Uh, grew up in Florida, we had the big palmetto bugs. There's, you're always going to have something going on. But I can remember in that house, the battle that we fought. It was a battle. You know, I got a lot of kids. I hate roaches. Man, I can give me a spider any day, baby. You give me a roach, all I want to do is take my pointy-toe boots and squish the fire out of them and get rid of those nasty things. Just, they're gross. But I can remember... We would get times, you know, you get up at night and come down and you flip that light on and they scurry. And you go, oh, Molly called the bug man again, you know. It's, we did everything. We sprayed, we did foggers, we did everything. We called the best, you know, exterminators come out and they would even call us back. If you see a, one rope, just call us. And we'd call them up. But they'd come out, do their thing. And it would be gone for a week or so. And we, hey, we got these bugs back. Yep. He'd come out finally. You know what he told me? Stop calling me. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You know why he said stop calling me? Because he'd done all he could. Yeah, you're getting rid of the bugs. Mm-hmm. He told us it, it's impossible in those old homes. the same house, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I know some uh, certainly have been there. You know, folks? That's exactly the way the sin is in our lives. You know, God, the law was there just to, as that light that flipped on and the bugs were scurry. Those roaches were like my sins. And they are never, ever, I don't care what I do. Man, I can be free to thrive. I can be in church three days a week and I can teach Sunday school. I can do everything. I can sing in the choir, folks. How about that one? How about that one? You know what? At the end of the day, sin is just waiting to eat my lunch. I don't care what I do. And Paul is absolutely sharing that. This man who is, everybody at that time, he's got to be, you think of who's the holiest person, most righteous person you think in your life. That was Paul. In, in some of their eyes. And yet, he is telling them, man, I got roaches all infested. He is just bearing it out there. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. From the time of Adam, the earth and all men and women within it has lived in corruption. There is no getting around it. David Stern writes in the Jewish New Testament commentary, which is a a rough book sometimes to read through some of the stuff. This is written through from a Messianic Jew view. They're looking at it, and I don't know if you've ever been to a Jewish service. A synagogue, I have. It is amazing. When they start their service, they bring out these big things, this big, um, what's the Taurus? This big scroll. And they roll this thing out and they read a few verses out of the Torah. It's amazing. If you've never had an opportunity, um, maybe you should try. There are some that allow you to come in and watch and be part of it. But he wrote, 
This Torah shows that Shaul, that's what they never changed the thing to Paul, but Shaul, as a Messianic Jew, retained a high view of the Torah. Because in support of his main argument, he presents the statement undefended, expecting his reader not to demand the proof. It is a given, an axiom, to which all can agree without further demonstration. Paul further explains that his flesh, earthly body, is like a slave which is owned by someone. In this example, it is sin that he's owned by. For I do not understand my own actions. For I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. i got to move along here. Paul is being transparent, as we've already stated. He knows what God's desire is, and he strives for it only to realize that he has failed in his pursuit again. Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is, that is good. Understand that if we are dead in our sins, then we either don't know or truly don't care about what the law means. But believers pursuing holiness with the law as our teacher and faith as our keeper in the gospel need to realize that the battle waging is not bad. It's, it's, it's an evidence that we're not dead, that we are warring. And having that struggle and realizing I'm failing, that's what the law is there for, is to show us that. So if that struggle is not there, you might want to get on your knees and make sure that your part is right with God. Is now, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. The recognition that we will always be sinners, admitting that we are all weak and bent towards doing evil, is the first step of recovery. I didn't put that in my notes, but that's <laughs> I think of uh, some other things after uh, anonymous. And, um, but recognize that even in our pursuit of pleasing God, we can end up producing sinfulness. And the thing that came to mind when I read through that verse was pride. You know, and I went to verses in, um, where Solomon warns us in Proverbs, and he talks about it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Matthew Henry states, There is joy and satisfaction of spirit only in getting wisdom. A sincerely religious man keeps at distance from every appearance of evil. Happy is the man that walks in Christ and is led by the Spirit of Christ. In verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Do not ever depend on your ability to do something in the flesh. Don't ever. Again, remember we start thinking we can do it, get ready. Sin is waiting one way or the other. Paul is absolutely correct with this and warning against trusting in our own ability to, to do what we should. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I can remember early in life hearing the previous verses and thinking, man, those things sound strange. You know, you read back and forth, the guy's schizo. I mean, it just, you know, he's having this big argument back and forth. It just sounded strange to me. And it, it, for a long time, I just, you know, I just avoided them. I just, it just didn't make a lot of sense. And fortunately, I, I, later on, I, I just broke it down and we, it's not that hard. Uh, I was just not that smart. Um, but... Later, I came to see that Paul is giving a great picture of this battle that's taking place within all of us. Guys, 
Is there that battle? I can remember teaching kids. Uh, Mom and I taught, we taught all ages of kids. But I remember one of the, the uh, stories we had. And it was about a battle that took place. The new man and the old man. And it showed them warring within us. And we were sharing with our kids. Instilling their kids. That's the way it is. Don't. You can't hide those facts. Help them early in life to understand that there is that higher law. God is calling us to greater things and not to give in to all the base desires. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And with this one, I'll finish. Y'all can go online and see my notes. We can lay the fault for our wrongdoing on the sinfulness that remains in our broken bodies. We will never get away from this while we remain here. I can't say it again. He can't seem plainer. And that's what this whole argument's about. It goes back and forth. Absolutely, we have to grab hold of what God really wanted for the law and what it was supposed to be in our lives. I got some uh, things for us to think about before we end the, the class and to personalize this. How has God's law uncovered your sin in your life? Oh, wait a minute. I kind of avoid that one because that brings a lot of guilt stuff. Is the church filled with people just ignoring this stuff? Absolutely. We are all hypocritical, sinful beings. How has God's law uncovered your sin? How has it helped you see your need for Christ? How might losing sight of the fact that we are human and struggle daily lead to deep discouragement? How might it lead to hypocrisy and superficiality in us and thus the church? I've heard Daryl say, you know, he talks to people and invite them to come to church and say, I can't go to that church it's filled with nothing but hypocrites over there. Yep, that's true. <laughs> there is absolutely no perfect church. Because once you join it, it's become imperfect. That's not putting you down, it's putting me down. Uh, we are all bent towards sin. Folks, I hope you love God's Word. Um, you know, my studies and this had me getting up some hours in the mornings that I don't normally do and get before God. And that's a good thing. Um, you know, I can sleep when I'm dead, right? Thank <laughs> you.